Well, let me say how glad I am to see you today. Glad that you could be here. And we're also glad to have those worshiping with us online today as well. Now, it finally happened this past week. Can you hear me? Well, the reason that I want to tell you is because I went to the doctor and I said, I need some hearing aids. And he gave me a test and he said, you are correct. <laughs> you see, Laura and I really can't hear very well. And, and Laura and I were riding in the car here a while back and I said something to her and she said, what did you say? And, and I said it again and she said, it sounded to me like you said, carnage is freedom. <laughs> Which doesn't sound like me. Does it sound like me? Carnage is freedom. And then I said, that's not what I said. I said, I think the car just needs Freon. <laughs> you can't make that up. That really happened. So I went down there and I got him to test my hearing and, and I said, uh, okay, what do we do? And he told me the whole thing and he explained it to me and he showed me and gave me the test. And then he said, well, that'll be this much money. And I, so I took out a 30-year loan. <laughs> but fortunately, I get to get them, you know, before I pay it off, right? Anyway, I'm picking them up Tuesday. So I'm going to report back to you. Just be in prayer. Just know that, that it's potentially possible that I can hear better after I get this. So there's no more snoring. No more telling people secrets in the back because I'll be able to hear you, okay? So watch out for that. And then when we save up our pennies again, I may send Laura down there as well. Don't you think that would be good? Right. Okay. So that has nothing to do with the sermon today. I just wanted to let you know. I'm trying to keep you informed. Okay. Now here's what happens. Every week we have first time guests with us, which I'm delighted to have. And I usually say to them, welcome home, really, because I want you to be at home here, right? And so I want to just quickly, if you haven't been here, we're in this series about guardrails. And I want to quickly give you a quick summary before we get into the message today about that and how it came about. Several years ago, Laura and I went out to Colorado Springs to a retreat. We spent the week at the retreat looking up at Pikes Peak. After it was over, we drove up on top of Pikes Peak, and I learned something. As you're driving up there, you have the trees along the road, and it seems like you're kind of protected. In other words, if you drove off the road, maybe the trees would stop your fall, maybe, okay? But then you go above something called the timberline out there. I, I was not aware of this. And so then all the trees are gone. They can't grow up there. There's not enough oxygen. And so what happens is it's just like rocks and the moon. And, and, you know, you could drive right over the cliff and be gone. So I got a little nervous while I was out there. And you get to thinking about what, what about guardrails? Guardrails would be good in a situation like that, wouldn't they? Now, guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off limit zones, right? It's to protect us, and that's what we want to see happen. How many of you know that guardrails are in the Bible? Well, they're not in the Bible, but I just wanted to make sure and check with you and see if what you know, because, <laughs> because the Old Testament talks about boundaries, and it talks about being under the protection of God, and it talks about being obedient to God and kind of staying in the safety zone. That's the obedience part of it. So there are three areas. If you're on a highway, you have bridges, you have medians, and you have curves. Bridges keep you from driving off the bridge, right? The, the guardrail does. And then the median is to keep you from hitting off 
oncoming traffic and oncoming traffic from hitting you. And then curves kind of creep up on us sometimes as we're driving along mountainous roads. And we need that. We need to slow down and see that. Now, here are some guardrail things that you need to know about. Guardrails direct and protect us, okay? Guardrails are always placed in a safety zone. And guardrails are there to minimize damage. If you hit a guardrail, yes, it will tear up your car, but not nearly as much if the guardrail weren't there and you just went off into the abyss, right? So in comparison, it's a great thing. Now, our greatest regrets can be avoided by some guardrails that we implement in our lives because not all guardrails have to do with a highway, okay? Now, think about in your life, what are the areas of your life where you can use guardrails? Well, what about in your financial aspect, your stewardship, being faithful to God, doing what he calls us to do, living his way? What about our morality? Yeah, it's important to have guardrails there, isn't it? What about our relational and professional guardrails? What about our spiritual guardrails to make sure that we're being obedient to God? Future regrets can be avoided by establishing some personal guardrails right now. And when we begin to drift into unhealthy or dangerous directions, an alarm needs to go off that says, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. It might be a check in our spirit that says, no, I don't need to do that. I don't need to go that way. Maybe we begin to feel like that's not the right thing to do. The point of a guardrail is actually to light up our conscience, to light up our spirit, before we hurt ourselves and other people. Today, I want to talk about financial guardrails. When it comes to money, the church doesn't need your money, and God doesn't need your money. How many of you knew that? See, what people begin, I don't know where people get this idea, but for some reason, when you talk about giving in church, people begin to think that God has gone broke. He's in heaven. He retired. He set enough money back. He thought he had enough. Now what's happened? The recession. Who knew that was coming? I don't quite have enough. So what does he do? He has to ask his kids for help. That's what people think. I don't know where they get this concept, but God owns everything. <laughs> he doesn't need anything from us. And so God really is not concerned about what you have. What God really wants is your heart. That's what he wants. And so what he tries to do is teach us to trust him in every area of our lives, including finances, financial guardrails. Now, when I talk about financial guardrails, this is not how to stay out of debt. That's a different talk, okay? That's not what I'm talking about today. This is much deeper. In fact, you could be completely out of debt and have lots of money in the bank and still be in a ditch financially. And I'll show you how in a minute. The scripture we're going to look at comes from Matthew. One day Jesus was teaching and he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here's the primary issue that Jesus is trying to get across to us. He's saying that mastery and control and ownership are the issues that he wants to talk about when it comes to financial guardrails. In other words, do we have money or does money have us? Do we own money or does money own us? 
Do we possess and use money, or does money possess and use us? Do we manage money, or does money manage us? And the reason Jesus' followers need financial guardrails is because finances are the chief competitor for our heart. You see, there's this tug of war that's going on, and it's for things of the world or the things of God. And God says, I want you to love me first, and so I want you to give me your heart. But then what happens is there are other things that we love as well, and so we always have a battle going on there. We give to those we love. Think about it. Who do you give to? You give to those you love, right? Okay. And so what happens is that you do it, why? Grudgingly? No, because you love them and you want to do it. Here's what happened. You, you may not know it, but Laura and I have a granddaughter named Collins. I don't know if I've ever mentioned her before. She's six years old. She lives in Birmingham. And so we went to Target, Laura and Collins and I. That's Buddy and Honey and Collins, okay? And we get to Target. Laura takes a buggy, and she says, I'm going to go shopping. I've got things I've got to pick up for the things. And so what I want you to do is take Collins and take her to the toy department, right? <laughs> Big mistake, I'm just saying, because we already knew she was going to buy this doll, right? We knew what she was going for. Uh, our daughter Elizabeth had explained it to us, okay? She wants it, you go buy it for her. That's what she said. So, so I took her to Target, right? And we had the buggy, and we got back there, and she really wanted more than one of these dolls. She wanted several. She actually wanted four, but they only had three. So she settled for three and some other items to go along with that. She put those in the buggy, and then she looked at me, and she said, okay, like, I'm through shopping. I'm ready to go home now, right? Everything's wonderful. And so she takes out one of them, and she's just staring at it in the store as we're walking along looking for Laura. She gets another one. She can't decide which one she wants to look at. I mean, it's a big, big deal. And then I think, well, at least my shopping is through. Nay, nay. What happens is we run into Laura, and Laura says, okay, I want you to go over to the grocery part and get some milk. And so we go. And once again, Laura's on her own. I'm with Collins. We get over to the grocery department. And Collins, the week before, Elizabeth told me this later, she, there were some things that she didn't, Elizabeth didn't have at the house that Collins wanted. So this was her opportunity to get them. So we got to the grocery department, and she started picking up, buddy, we need some of this. We got to have, we need this. We got to have it. She starts putting stuff in the buggy, right? And then she'll get something. Oh, yeah, we need. She said, oh, we're out of this. Better get two. So she's putting that in the buggy, right? So, you know, I'm just going along with the flow because that's what grandparents do, right? You know, we teach our children about stewardship, and we spoil our grandchildren. That's what happens, okay? So anyway, we get all that stuff, and I go, and Elizabeth is just dying laughing when she finds out about all the things that we got. I said, you know, you're not going to be out of this. She said, we're really not out of it. I said, well, you're going to have more now. You're going to be set, right? But the point is, we give to those we love, and we are happy to do it. Now, the root cause of both desire and fear is greed, okay? And I want you to hear me say this. Listen to this. This is a little phrase that, that you need to remember, okay? It's an assumption that all we have financially is for our consumption. But that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, I want you to write this down because it's not on the outline. I forgot to, to give it to them to put on. I put it in late. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Write that down. And here's what it says. 
And God will generously provide all you need, and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. In other words, the purpose of money is that we might have enough left over to share with others. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And when you and I make the assumption that all that we have financially is for our consumption, we are living as if there were no God. And we don't believe that, do we? And so there has to be more to life and beyond this life than just consumption, than just things. But there's something interesting. This happens to all of us. What happens to us in life? We don't even have to go looking for it. Trouble comes our way. Have you ever noticed that? Trouble ever show up at your house? Trouble comes our way. And it may be financial trouble. Maybe somebody else caused that. Maybe somebody laid you off. Maybe somebody lied to you. Maybe your business partner took your money and ran. Maybe it had nothing to do with you, but you got into trouble. And do you know what we do when we find ourselves in financial trouble? We do one of the strangest things. You know what it is? We pray. God, help me. I'm in financial trouble. I need your help. And here's what we pray. Dear God, I would like to invite you into my finances because I have a problem and I may have chosen the wrong master. So if we do that, here's my question for all of us today, and that's this. If you would pray and ask God and invite him into your finances when there's a problem, why wouldn't you go ahead and invite him into your finances before there's a problem? Have you ever thought about that? So you set yourself up by reprioritizing for success, okay? And if you're living like most people, what do most people do? Are you ready? They live, they save, and they give in that order. That's what most people do in life. And if you do that, then that says that you are mastered by money. But when you live this way, you're living as if God has no interest in your finances whatsoever. Live, save, give. But if you want to God to be the master of your life, then we have to embrace his values. And when we do that, it moves from live, save, give give, it turns it all the way around. It says first give. Then it says save. Then it says live. Give first, save second, and live on the rest. I'm telling you this works and it comes from Jesus. It isn't about me and it isn't about the church. This is what it means to follow Jesus. When our children were young, but old enough to understand, we put up three jars. The first one had Jesus written on it. The second one had college written on it. The third one had their name written on it, okay? When our older daughter, Elizabeth, was three years old, she was sitting in a high chair. We were at the table, and she was looking up on the wall in the kitchen, and she knew what that was about. We had taught her, and she looked at it, and she studied it. Jesus, college, Elizabeth, and here's what she said. Why did Jesus and college have little and I have much? And I said, Elizabeth, would you like to preach Sunday? <laughs> I can't do any better than that. Now, if a three-year-old can look at it objectively and understand that, surely you and I can do the same. 
God gives us everything we have. He asked for us to give him 10% back because he wants to tr teach us to trust him in that area. He says, give, save, and then live on the rest. He gives us 80%. He could give us 10%. He gave it all to us to begin with. We couldn't argue with that, could we? And so we have to be grateful for what we have. So the question is, why don't we change our perspective to God's perspective? And I'm telling you why. I'm telling you, why would a preacher, why would a preacher teach his kids to give first, save second, and live on the rest? Because we didn't want our children to be mastered by money. There's no amount of stuff that makes us completely content because stuff is about an appetite, and an appetite can never be taken care of. You're always going to have an appetite. And so you're driven by your appetite. Unhealthy things happen. Now think about this for a minute. We all buy new things, don't we? And we are glad to have them, and we're thankful for them, and we appreciate them, and we get them. But what happens is we're only happy with them for a while because they really don't meet the, the deeper needs in our hearts and lives. If you have a house, what do you do? You decorate the house, right? And you fix it all up, and what do you have? Stuff. You got stuff. That's what you, you went and got stuff. You put it in your house. Now you got stuff. And you have that for a while, right? And then what happens? You redecorate. That's what you do. I'm tired of this stuff. I want some new stuff, right? Because it's an appetite. Let's do something different. I'm tired of this. We all have stuff. We have more stuff than we need. And, you know, sometimes what do we do? We go out and get more stuff. That's what we do. And we all do it. Now, most of us, listen, most of us are going to run out of time before we run out of stuff. That's the truth. Look at people that you know in your family, older people. My grandmother, I'd go visit my grandmother, and she would say, I'm glad you're here. I've got stuff for you. I want you to take this with you. If you don't take it, your brother or your sisters have to take it, but somebody's taking it. I'm just downsizing. I'm getting rid of stuff. Now, my mom is in her 80s, and what does she do? You go to her house, and she said, I'm glad you're here. I've got stuff. Come here. You're taking this stuff. If you don't take it, your brother or your sisters are taking it. They're saying, I don't need it. I'm passing it on. You know, we're going to run out of time before we run out of stuff. And so we have to prioritize that. And you know what it means? If we're not careful, we can live our lives as if stuff is the most important thing when really time is. Time is a precious commodity today. We have less time today than probably we've ever had in the history of the world. People are so busy. And so time is important. And I didn't want my kids to grow up that way. And you know what? Your heavenly father doesn't want you to live that way either and to make money, number one. I didn't want my kids to grow up that way. I wanted them to be able to choose between money and personal peace. And I wanted them to choose peace in life. Uh, we don't want to be slaves to consumption. I didn't want them to be slaves to consumption. I want them to have stuff, but I don't want stuff to have them. That's why I did that. So we give first, we save second, and we live on the rest. And here's what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he, in Matthew, he says this, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
Jesus doesn't want you to do that, and here's why. Because when you and I worry about the future, we end up closing our hands and our hearts. And followers of Jesus have to live with our hands open and our hearts open. Have you ever had someone teach you, don't hold that too closely? Hold that loosely in your hands because you want to be receptive to God's will. Maybe there's something about to happen. You're excited about it. You want it to happen. You're sure that it's supposed to happen, but God says, no, I got a different plan. And then you're disappointed because it didn't happen. Hold it loosely in your hands. And then he continues on and he says, for the pagans run after these things. Okay. Now I'd like for you to pause here just a moment. I'd like for you to look around the room. See if you see any pagans here today. Go ahead. Check them out. Look at them. Don't tell them. Just look at them. Okay. Do you know what pagans are? Well, I'm going to tell you. Anybody who believes in more than one God is a pagan as opposed to one God. So the Jewish people, everybody other than the Jews, all these people were pagans because they all believed in multiple gods. And here's what they were trying to do. They were always trying to bribe the gods. Okay, let's see what we can give the gods so that they'll bless us. And they would sacrifice animals. And some of these people and some of these cultures, they would sacrifice their own children in order to bribe the gods to get what they wanted. How futile, how, how sad that is. And you know what happened? Sometimes the children of Israel who knew better, sometimes God's chosen would look at another culture. And that king who was in charge of Israel would look and see what they were doing. And he would begin to think, well, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I better cover all my bases. So I'm going to do that same thing too. Have you ever read the Old Testament? And they'll say, so-and-so became king, and he did what was right in God's eyes. And then so-and-so became king, and he did what was wrong in God's eyes. And things don't work out for those kings. Let me just tell you, okay? And so what they did was they looked around, and instead of listening to God, they said, you know what? Everybody else in culture is doing it this way. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do what God says to do because I want to fit in. So I'm going to do what the culture says to do, even if it means sacrificing my own children. And that's how far off base they got. Now, before we judge them too harshly, let me ask you a question. What do we do today? Who are we listening to? Who influences us? They talk about influencers today social media influencers hey we need some influencers we need some godly influencers to have a godly impact on our lives we need to be godly influencers we don't need to just accept what the world and the culture does we need to say you know what god says this is what he says and this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to believe so and he says and your heavenly father knows that you need him in other words he's saying whatever you need i know that jesus not me i didn't say this our heavenly father knows what we need he says so don't worry about it now the moment you and i wrap our hearts and belief systems around the fact that god knows what we need we have earned the right and the opportunity to keep our hands open before god Instead of worrying, instead of hoarding, instead of consuming, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, he says, I'm an others first 
king. And if you want to follow me, you've got to put others first. I lived it. It's my example. It's what I practice. And I want you as my followers to do the same thing. We got an others first kingdom. Jesus says, if you're going to invite me into your area of your life and control your finances, you need to know that we're going to put others first. One day, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem with the disciples. And in the Gospel of Mark, he said, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. What's he talking about? He's saying that the people in charge make all the decisions. He said, if you're in charge, you make the decisions and you charge other people as to what they are to do, right? And he says, but the point is, in the world, whosoever's in charge is going to be in charge, right? But then he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. If you want to be great, you got to be a servant. If you want to be great in the world, then you don't try to get in first place. You try to get in last place and serve everybody along the way. And before they can even raise an objection, because this is so different, he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They cringed when he said that because what they were thinking was it was like him saying, hey, guys, you think you're better than me? And they're going, no, Jesus, you're Jesus. We're not better than you. Then get to the back of the line because that's where I'm headed. He said, that's where I'm going, and that's why I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm about to do for the whole world what I'm going to turn around and ask the whole world to do for each other. My friends, that changed the world, and it can change the world again today selflessness would solve everything. He says, welcome to the kingdom of God. Seek first my righteousness and then relax because all these things will be added to you. And when you put God first, you're saying, God, you first and me second. Remember the most famous verse of scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son for you and me. He gave. He said, welcome to my kingdom. I'll take care of you because I know what you need. The way that you make sure you have your money, but your money doesn't have you, is that you seek first with your money his kingdom, and everything else will be added. The chief competitor for your heart is stuff. So you give first, you save second, and you live on the rest. And here's what I want you to do. If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to take and pick a percentage of your income. You, you pick the percentage. doesn't have to be 10%, but it could be. But you pick the percentage, and I want you to give it away first as soon as you get it. You don't have to start with 10%, but pick a percentage and give it first. Fund what God is doing all over the world by supporting your local church with his tithe. And I promise you, it'll bless your heart. Now, I can't finish this message without saying one last thing to you, and that's this. Thank you. I want to thank you 
You're the reason we're able to do all that we're able to do because of your extraordinary generosity. I want to say thank you. Because of your generosity, you have sought first someone else's welfare over your own. And that is what the kingdom of God is really all about. Let us pray. God, help us because sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're afraid to do what you ask us to do, and, and we know that doesn't make any sense. Why would we be afraid of you? All you've ever done is have our best interests at heart. Lord, I pray that you would take away all fear. The Bible says you didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And certainly, out of everyone we could trust, we can trust you the most. And so, Lord, I pray that if we've got a barrier in this area, if there's something that's holding us back, if there's something that we're struggling with, Lord, I pray that the enemy won't have a victory. I pray that we might learn to do exactly what you teach us to do, not in fear, but in faith, and sleep well at night at peace, because we're so thankful for everything that you've done for us. We just want to be faithful and obedient to what you call us to do. And we celebrate that privilege in Jesus' name. And all God's children said.